and welcome to the Starter Ripple podcast. I'm your host, India Pearson, and I believe ripples are made when we connect movement with nature, not only for our mind and body, but also the environment too. This podcast is a platform for me to chat with inspiring folk who feel the same and have some fascinating stories to tell from their experiences. I hope the conversations that come from this podcast will encourage you to get outside, move, dream big, and see what happens from the ripples you create. Time to introduce my guest. Ben Fogel is an award-winning broadcaster, author, and adventurer, best known for presenting the hit series New Lives in the Wild for Channel 5. Not only this, he is a United Nations patron of the wilderness. Ben has taken moving in nature to the next level, having climbed Mount Everest, rode across the Atlantic, and raced across Antarctica to the South Pole, to name but a few. And his honest reflection from the lessons he has learned on these adventures is what makes him so captivating. He says, For anyone, taking yourself out of your natural environment and comfort zone is a great way to reflect where you've come from and where you are going. It's away from phones, social media, information overload. To be able to completely switch off and turn your mind to something different, what you get from that is perspective. Hello, Ben, and welcome to the Starter Ripple podcast. Thank you very much. I'm excited to be here. Oh, I have to say, I am so excited to have you on the podcast. Um, okay, let's just dive right in. So you have done some mammoth challenges in your time. You know, you climbed Everest, rode across the Atlantic, raced to the South Pole and, and ran six consecutive marathons across the Sahara Desert. But, but where did this need to move in nature start? You know, you know where did your ripples begin? It started quite late, if I'm to be honest. It's not something that I can say ever since I was a little boy, I've been drawn to adventure or physical exercise. If anything, actually, as a child, I, I, I actually disliked sport because sport as a child for me was very defined. Sport was football. Sport was rugby or cricket. And unless it was a specific sport like that, even cross country, um uh then then you weren't in the gang and and none of those kind of traditional sports ever really appealed to me and the notion of going for a run without the pressure of a teacher chasing you without the pressure of other people commenting on how fast you were or being out of breath and being stuck at the back actually meant that that I actually I I, I kind of shied away from any physical activity because I didn't think I was very good at it so it came much later in life. It actually started when, when I went to live on the island of Taransay for the BBC experiment Castaway, which was about 21 years ago. That was probably the first time when I realised the power of nature uh, as a healer, the power of nature for, for mental well-being, for physical well-being. Because on that, that, that island, which was in the Outer Hebrides, I never did physical exercise in the traditional sense. I never went for runs or did workouts, but it was a very physical year there. Lots of lots of lugging heavy materials around. And, and I, I kind of suddenly became really healthy and really fit and my mental health started to improve. So I think that was probably ground zero for, 
my realizing and living with the power of nature to to transform mental and physical well-being and i think the language that we use around you know those more traditional sports that you were talking about can also be a little bit off putting sometimes you know words like exercise physical education training you know they're not that appealing um which is why i try to use words now like movement you know i'll say i'm going to go out and move by the beach for an hour or in yoga i use the word wiggle quite a lot because it's a little bit less intimidating and it just changes your mindset around what you're doing. Um, now, you've obviously done a lot of challenges in your life, you know, rowing the Atlantic being one of them. But do you feel like you you need a challenge to work towards in order to get yourself out moving? Or are you just as happy to take yourself out for a run in the woods for the sake of it? Well, I've got a, a slightly contradictory answer to that, because on one hand, what what turned me off sport and exercise as a child was the pressure of competition. This notion that if you're going to go for a run, it's all about how fast you ran it in. I, I find it now. I get asked daily, are you on Strava? Uh, what distance do you run? How fast do you run? Do you know what, India? That I couldn't care less about how fast you do it. I couldn't care less about how far you go. It's all about what makes you feel better. So let's take Today, I, I went for a run today. I really didn't feel like it. It's a bit gloomy where I am. Um, I'm a fair weather runner. I like to run in the heat of the sunshine. So <laughs> this winter has been quite hard. A lot of mud and, and a lot of dreary, rainy, cold weather. Um, but for me, I was able to run until I, I turned that blue Monday sentiment into a happy Monday sentiment. And it had nothing to do with the speed. It had nothing to do with the distance. But people are still slaves to this notion that it's all about how fast you can run. And if you look at the apps and the smart watches, that's all about your speed and how can you get it up. When people talk about marathons, I've done quite a few marathons now. The first thing they say is how fast, what is your marathon time? Now, we need to change this shift because just doing a marathon, whether you're walking it or whether you're, you're running it in sub two hours, they're both brilliant. But, they, uh, it, but, but each one of those is brilliant according to who you are. So for me, um, I hate any sort of pressure, but where I contradict my answer, I find that actually we do have to be motivated to get out. I think a lot of us, it's very easy. You wake up and you think, I really don't want to go for a run. And I've got myself in these little periods um, where I go for a long time without doing exercise. And it's amazing how you spiral down and, and it's quite hard to get yourself out of that little rut of not going. So I do need, so I do need to be motivated. And what I've done over the years, especially with those bigger challenges that you've, um, you, you've given examples of there, I have tried to give myself the pressure of anticipation and expectation by taking on a challenge to actually get me out of those ruts in the first place. So what I find is I need every so often, I need to set myself a goal quite big goals, climbing Everest, rowing the Atlantic. <laughs> and that has that has shaken um, my fear of um, my fear of competition, because I do, I, do, I don't like this pressure of people expecting you to finish things in a certain amount of time. But I think sometimes you do have to confront those. I think it's really important. So the contradictory answer is, I don't like competition. And I don't like trying to do things fast. And I don't like doing things in a competition um arena as such but I also see the benefits and I do force myself to confront those occasionally 
And the competitions that you're choosing to do are in very unique places. So, you know, from an outsider's point of view, it seems like it's as much about immersing yourself in the experience of being in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean or the Sahara Desert as much as it is about, you know, pushing yourself to get a certain time, for example. It is. It's very much about that. And it's, they're also very, very slow. Um, walking across Antarctica is very slow. And I'm very good at a very slow plod. It's amazing how often I turn up to do a, a marathon, for example, and everyone's like, yeah, well, what are you going for? Are you going for sub two? I'm like, mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to try to sub four. Yeah, I'm just going to try and finish. I just want to finish. And yeah. as long as it's like a long, slow plod, I, I could just give me a multi-marathon and it's great. I can do a very slow plod. It's not going to be particularly beautiful. It's going to be slightly ungainly. There's going to be no finesse to what I do. But it's just, it's it's about controlling the mind and getting yourself into this sort of zone. I don't, I don't actually do yoga. I know you do yoga and things. I probably should because I actually... I really enjoy the spirituality of exercise, of guessing out and paddleboarding. You know, that that's something that I love. Now, I don't live too close to an ocean. and I, I particularly like paddleboarding on an ocean. We live close to a river. I've got a, a paddleboard here. And there's something about the, the motion of paddleboarding, which is slightly yoga-esque, the movement of your body, keeping your core, being being connected to the water being connected to nature and and it's no surprise to me that that paddleboarding um has become so incredibly popular because i i can totally see what it does to you you're in the moment and that for me is what all of these um big experiences have been rowing the atlantic ocean was as much about the whales that we saw while we were out there it was as much about watching the weather come in about surviving at sea as it was about the competition of getting from the start point to the end point. And, and for me, I think if you, if you change your mindset and just think about that, it's about immersing and engaging with nature. You know, this whole notion of running really, really, really fast, you know, people who race around the world on bicycle or, or, or going as fast as they can, I kind of, I see why people like that in the, in, in the context of competition, but actually we need to enjoy it. You want to actually, uh, you know, be a part of the environment you're in. That's why dog walkers, I think, are really connected because you're you're going very slowly. The dogs are going back and forth, and you suddenly start to sit, and you start to actually, uh, you know, engage with the landscape you're in. You know, you'll you'll know India about the the art of um, forest bathing, which was developed in in. Uh, Actually, no one really knows where it came from. I think it's probably probably just human nature. But, you know, the Japanese have practiced it for a long time. The Scandinavians have. And this is the notion of rather than going to a beach, which we we contextualize as the place where you sunbathe, you lie there and you absorb the sun's rays. Well, forest bathing is the, 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 the forest example of that. And you lie and you just let nature start to act around you. Because, you know, if you're running through a wood, you're not going to see anything. Let's be honest, you know, especially me, my big lumbering foot footprints everything scatters but as soon as you spend some time and start observing the theater of nature begins all around and and that's what I find very kind of therapeutic yeah I I love that the theater of nature amazing um yeah I think it's about awakening the senses you know I love teaching yoga outside it's one of my favorite things to do in the summer I have a space that looks out to sea and you know I ask my students to feel the the grass underneath their fingertips and to really listen to the sounds of the waves crashing against the shoreline and it 
is such a powerful way of bringing your mind into the present moment and, and having this awakening. You know, it's incredible. Um, now, I read a quote from you uh, somewhere that said, adventure doesn't need to be crossing a pole or rowing across an ocean. An adventure can be anything out of the ordinary. So how have you kept your adventurous spirit alive over lockdown? Well, it's been a hard one, but I think to continue on the theme we were just on, India, I think what's quite interesting is, again, sport and exercise pre-pandemic was often, but for not everyone, I realise this, but for many people, it was going to a gym. And the gym was the church or, or the theatre of exercise. And, and you'd get onto a, a, a running machine or a rowing machine, or you'd use the heavy weights that were in the gym. Now, obviously, you know, and I, I feel awful for all gym owners but they're that they, they have effectively closed down for for the whole year so we've all been forced to adapt for me running was you know i really engaged much more with running during lockdown than ever before because i was one of those gym goers i have to admit but i think what it's done is it has we, we have all realized that actually the landscape around us whether you're lucky enough like you to be close to the beach i've got woods near me not everyone has that but most people have access to a park or a green or a, a scrubland whatever it is and uh, I think we've all realized that actually, you know, the, the landscape around us is a gym. And we've realized that actually the, the, the benefits of just getting onto a running machine in a, in a slightly um, uninspirational gym. And I know there's some very inspirational gyms out there, but, you know, it's, it's then what are you doing the exercise for? Are you doing it because your body is um, uh, a, a kind of an ornament? And, and I think a lot of people mistake the, 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 what exercise is for. Now, there are some people that do it for the big pecs and they want to pose with the big muscles. And, you know, we see that there's a place for it. The ripped six pack. I think it's the, the whole sort of Towie and Maiden Chelsea phenomenon. It's all about, you know, how, how you look and ditto for, for women. But for me, exercise has always been about the body as a, a tool. You know, this this for me is not about having a, you know, I'm 47 now, so it's not going to happen, but it's not about having a ripped body. It's about having a, a body that I can carry my 10-year-old daughter on my shoulders and not collapse in a wheezing mess. You know, I want to actually be physical. And I want, when I go away filming, as I just was uh, last week in Wales, one of the people I was filming with loves running. And for one of the sequences, we went out for a run together. I was able to do that, which I wouldn't have had I not just kept things ticking over. So I think it's quite interesting how we um, how we view exercise. Then onto the question that you actually asked, how I've coped with the last year. It's been really hard because I like variety when it comes to my exercise. And as much as I just dismiss gyms, I still like gyms because I think there are there are different machines that give you different things. So a rowing machine, for example, I, I find a, an amazing tool for cardiovascular all over fitness, but I haven't had access to that. So uh, we as a family have tried to get out every single day, um, not even have tried. We have got out every single day, whatever the weather. Um, so that's just for kind of dog walk and exercise. And then my wife, Marina, and I kind of made a commitment at the beginning of the very first lockdown that if there was one thing we owed to the NHS, it was keeping our own health and mental well-being. That was our way of giving back. You know, I know there's this whole thing of stay at home, protect the NHS. Well, personally, I think it's, uh, you know, stay at home and keep yourself fit and healthy, protect the NHS. And it's, it's funny, isn't it? Because 
you know, where, where else in the countryside, but certainly during the first lockdown, you know, I remember cars beeping at me when they saw me running in a kind of aggressive, get home, you're not supposed to be out. People were taking this stay at home very literally. And I know that people who live in cities still get some aggression from people if they go for a run because people don't want, you know, get your disgusting COVID germs away from me. And it's it saddens me that people kind of see those exercising as, as ne'er-do-wellers. You know, I think we're probably the people who are the fittest and, and the healthiest who are actually looking after ourselves and keeping COVID at bay by keeping our immune system going. So that's what motivated me over the last year to kind of really keep running every day. I haven't wanted to do it and my knees aren't particularly thankful for it. But um, my wife, I think, I think it was the best decision my wife and I made and it's kept us sane, to be honest. Now, I follow you on Instagram and I have seen that you've also been doing some Wim Hof training, you know, running out in the freezing cold in just a pair of shorts and taking ice cold baths. Um, do you mind explaining a little bit more about this Wim Hof theory and, and how does it make you feel? Yeah, so the Wim Hof um, uh, theory is, is something very basic, which I, I, I've kind of, I've admired for many years now because I've, I've seen the benefits of it. And it's, it's basically about cold water, cold air immersion. So his theory is very much based on the whole barefoot running um, model, barefoot run, the, the, barefoot rod, the barefoot running model. Um, basically hypothesizes that our feet have been overprotected by modern trainers and we've lost connection with all those incredible um, nerves and things in our feet. So the, the idea being that actually you release your feet and you get more out of yourself. And there's different forms of barefoot running, you can wear these ridiculous shoes that have five little toes that, that you, you, um, you wear. You can buy unconstructed shoes or you can actually be barefoot. Well, the Wim Hof uh, method basically hypothesizes that all these clothes and central heating um, have been to the detriment of our bodies because suddenly all the veins that you might have in your arms have lost um, their ability to be really effective. So his model is about uh, in, in immersing your body with cold and boosting your immune system and your mental well-being. You can do that in a cold bath, in a cold icy swim in the ocean, or bare chest running. Um, obviously, for women, uh, sports bras, whatever it is, but it's it's wearing minimal minimal clothes. And uh, and I I kind of felt as winter encroached, uh, shorter days. It's a pretty depressing time. Whatever your mental well being, I think a lot of people have struggled for the last few months. And my way of overcoming that, and my wife has did the same, was cold showers and in embracing the cold and I really have found I, I have found it life-changing I really have I can't kind of I can't recommend enough for everyone just try the cold shower thing you can have a look at his site and it gives all the details of how to build up your immunity to it not the, the, the cold weather running by the way and bare chest running as it's sometimes called, called um, you, it, it's hard <laughs> I, I did one last week and, and I was exhausted by the end of it. it took me quite a while to recover I probably went for a bit too long and it was really cold the other week but actually I still think the benefits are extraordinary yeah I can vouch for that and you know from walking my dog on the beach every morning I'm seeing more and more people you know swimming in these freezing temperatures and they they, they come up out exhilarated and every day it seems like there's more and more people doing it and I've done it a lot more myself this this winter too. And I have to say, I find the benefits come after. 
I don't enjoy it in the moment and I certainly don't enjoy the lead up to going into the cold water. I feel the benefits when I'm home and I'm dry and that's when I get that buzz. Do you find that too? Well, I think I think it's I, I think this is symbolic of lots of things we do in life. The actual the anticipation and, and doing it are never necessarily the most enjoyable part. Often it's the reflection and it's the way you feel afterwards. So I went for my run this morning. I feel great now because I don't feel guilty that I haven't done it. Did I enjoy it at the time? Not for the first, not for the first 20 minutes. Uh, but then, you know, you get into it and, and it's the great kind of feeling of pride in yourself that you've actually done something you didn't necessarily want to do. And I think, you know, lockdown, what it's done is it's it's it's, it's actually softened a lot of people. Um, and when I say softened a lot of people, we've all got used to being at home for long periods of time. I've got used to being with my family the whole time, which is great. And that's not softening, by the way. But there's other things where we're, you know, where we're, we've our lives have become quite safe, bizarrely, uh, at home. And, uh, and I think a lot of us are going to have to wean ourselves back out to doing things we didn't necessarily want to do, getting on the tube, getting on the bus, commuting to work, all those things that many people have hardly done for a whole year. So I think actually going out for a run when you don't really feel like it is quite a good way just to you know, shake up that complacency of what you've become used to and to remind yourself that actually we're heading hopefully uh, back into a, 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 a kind of a life of normality from this year of abnormality yeah absolutely now it's clear that you like testing yourself in nature um and you get a lot out of out of doing this and i love you know sharing stories from my guests on this podcast of, of how they celebrate nature and they and they you know test test the elements but it's also important to remember that nature is a powerful beast and we need to be careful has there been times when nature has tested you and what have you learned from these experiences i think i think there's been plenty of times obviously especially because i've taken uh, i've taken myself to some quite what i suppose we call hostile environments and and a hostile environment is largely due how i would describe a hostile environment is one that is entirely unfamiliar to you as an individual so for me antarctica or the arctic is a hostile environment but obviously if you were born in siberia or born in alaska it's it's not hostile at all you know the, the new york or london are, are hostile places so for me taking myself out of my comfort zone of home and and, and immersing myself on the high mount the high himalayan mountains for example have tested me because it's an unfamiliar environment it's one that i don't feel entirely comfortable in but that's what what, what has been my motivator uh, throughout my life really is is shaking up my complacency in life and and uh, having a perspective looking back on what i have and uh, and seeing how other people live uh so yes on the atlantic huge storms uh on uh, uh, on mount everest huge avalanches uh in antarctica crevasses opening up there have been plenty of kind of moments when I've been in fear for my life but I, I've tried to not highlight those in my life because I think then nature and the natural world just becomes a theme park and a place of great danger where man battles nature and you're going to die and everything's going to kill you or hurt you and it's not really like that so I've kind of tried to I've, I've tried to share a 
a, a beautiful relationship between man, woman, and and the forests and the deserts. You know, a, a desert on the face of it is a seemingly very hostile environment, but actually, then when you immerse yourself with people who have lived in desert environments, whether it's the Sahara or the Namib, uh, you actually see that that the desert is full of life and opportunity and hope. So, actually, I, as much as I have been tested many, many times. Um, I think uh, I, I think that that was kind of the point and the purpose, and that was because I'm still predominantly an urban person. Mm, yeah, I get that. I, you know, we 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 go to nature to test us and and to take us out of our comfort zone and what what we know. Um, now you've obviously immersed yourself in many different environments around the world. And by doing this, it must have changed the way you see the world. Um, I know that you're the UN patron for the wilderness, so you clearly have a desire to give back. Uh, but at what point did you realise you, you, you wanted to do this and, I guess, use your position for activism? Yeah, I think it's twofold. You know, part of it is the guilt because I've obviously flown a lot over the years to get to lots of these places. So I'm aware that my carbon footprint has been higher than many, many people um, in the first instance. And and then the second point is that by being in these environments, I see firsthand um, the retreating glaciers. I see firsthand the rising sea levels. I see firsthand the the drought or the um, the excessive rain that communities have had. I haven't been anywhere in the last 10 years where the people, the communities, the locals haven't complained that their weather has completely flipped on its head. So I think I think you'd have to be, a uh, I mean, I, I still find it hard to see how people could possibly deny that things are happening. But I'm also a positive campaigner and I've, I've seen firsthand, you know, the positive impact we can have. Last week, I was filming in Wales with a, a family who are planting a million trees. This is, you know, a, a young family. They found um, some benefactors who are willing to help buy the trees and then they got volunteers helping them plant them. And when you see that just four people, you know, two, no, it's a bigger family, but we're a, a, a family um, are able to actually make a profound change like that. I find that really empowering. Uh, we watched recently with with the family the BBC documentary on Greta Thunberg, and uh, and I just found that deeply, deeply moving. Now she's an emotive figure, and not everyone likes her for whatever reason. I find that bizarre that they wouldn't. But if if you're in doubt, watch the film because I thought I thought, you know, if, if ever you doubt that a small voice um, will be lost uh, in the ether, hers is is an example that it it won't. Uh, and uh, and and I think that's where my kind of passion for the environment has has been born. It's one of the reasons I work for the United Nations now so prolifically because I I want to try and convert my experiences um, into change. Now whether that's going into classrooms and talking to youngsters, whether that's talking to people like yourself on podcasts, um, it's I suppose about sharing um, some of the things I've seen and trying to empower people. To believe that we can make a change rather than um, kind of depressing people into um, a, a sense of hopelessness. Yeah and I know that the, the travel industry gets a bad rep doesn't it um, for the for the damage it does to the environment but it does open our our mind up to what is going outside of our own little bubbles. It was traveling that really really kind of started my 
environmental journey journey off. Um, and I and I believe that small acts do amount to big changes, and, and we need to kind of start within. So, from a personal perspective, what small changes have you and your family made in your lives um, that have a greater impact for the environment? Well, small steps. I think that's that's the key. I, there's this notion we're living in a world right now where if you say you're green, then um, people will try to pick you up on your shortcomings. So there's this notion that um, the 10 percent of the, the population who say they're they're green um, uh, are expected to make a 100 percent change to their their um, lifestyle. And that's just it's just not possible. It's it, you, you can't live in the industrialized world having uh, and be a hundred percent green it is almost impossible now i know some people go well that, that, there's no such thing as impossible it's my whole mantra but believe me it's 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 a very hard world to live if you try to do that so wouldn't it be better that a hundred percent of us try to make a ten percent change to our lives so i think that's how we started let's start with the ten percent change and there's all sorts of tiny you know we, we all know um the, the small things with the carrier bags and water bottles and um coffee cups um you know you can start with those and then you can start to escalate. And we've been fortunate enough that we were able to change um, the, the type of cars that we use. So we're now able to uh, use electric cars. We were able to change the heating system in our house to a, a, a heat pumps, heat exchange system, basically harvesting the, the warmth in the air. It turns your house into almost a reverse fridge. So, so there are a number of little things. There's still plenty that we need to do. And, and actually, I, I feel very proud that my children are the ones that my wife and I up on our shortcomings because we still have them you know I'm, I'm I'm not a perfect green in any stretch of of the imagination I leave too many lights on um there, there are products that I buy that I probably still shouldn't but I think it's small steps and I think as if we really do all work on this notion that we're all a tiny pixel um if all those pixels come together just imagine how clear the, the image is going to be and uh and that's sort of my uh, that's my motivator, um, and and that's how we try to live. You know, starting at ten percent is really realistic and and a great place to start. And then you can always build up from there. And you know, watching your show, New Lives in the Wild, it, it's clear that families have done that. And I think I watched an episode the other day where the family said that they were at sort of sixty percent um, self sufficiency, which was incredible. Um, okay, so speaking actually of your show, New Lives in the Wild, on Channel Five. Um, I'd love to talk about your experiences when you go to these places and you, you know, have to disconnect from technology. You might be somewhere in the middle of nowhere where there's no Wi-Fi or the guest might ask you to put your phone away. And I'd love to hear from your point of view how that sort of changes your experience, changes your mindset, you know, having those breaks from technology. Um well, that's an interesting one because we're chatting through um, uh, the, the the medium of the internet now, and I think it is a I I love those moments when I go to spend time with people that either have no connection to um, the internet or or mobile masks or others who ask you to disengage. So there's, there's two examples actually. The the show that is on um, this week is uh, a woman called Emma Orbach who's lived off grid in Wales for many years. I think she's one of the most extraordinary people I've ever met. And she actually now runs kind of retreats in the woods um, of, of this um, Welsh location 
you go there to, um, to, to decompress from technology, to disconnect from technology. So not only is there no Wi-Fi or mobile coverage there anyway, but you're not allowed to bring anything in. So we, we were exempt that the only thing we were allowed to bring in was the camera that had wireless microphones and, and that she had to have a big kind of discussion with the rest of the people that live there about whether this would be allowed. And they did allow it. And, and I found it extraordinary. And she takes like billionaires, you know, billionaire.com uh, individuals from Silicon Valley go to this little Welsh wood to to disconnect from uh, fr from the pressures of social media, the pressures of online content. And I and I see it. You know, I get I disappear into the wormhole of social media when I'm at home. You know, we've had lots of time during lockdown. I suspect, and I don't want to kind of be uh, a doom monger, but I suspect it's another little ticking time bomb um, that will have come out of the period of pandemic. My children have never been on, on online and are using screens more in their lives. You know, they're in the other room now doing online teaching, which is amazing. The teachers have done a fantastic job. But, you know, should a child of 10 be stuck to a computer screen for 10 hours a day, probably whatever it is, eight hours a day, probably not. Um, but sometimes you have to choose the least worst option. So I think actually my engagement with with kind of being connected to the world, I've, I value and I realize the importance of it. But it's amazing how much you appreciate it when you're forced to um, uh, abandon it. So do you find, you know, if you're out, say, walking without your phone, you have a different sort of connection to the world? Yeah. And I have to and I, and I don't mind admitting if I go out for a walk with my family and I've got my phone in my pocket, I'll end up looking at the phone. I, I just, it's its like a default. I think I, I would hazard a guess almost everyone would agree with that. So we actually physically try to leave them behind now. You No temptation. It's almost like a default. You just pick it up when you've got time on your hands. Um, you, you feel this, this compulsion, which is an addiction to kind of pick up your phone. There's so many amazing apps and things in it. You know, it, it, it's it, without doubt, um, th this is a, a kind of a modern addiction that's afflicting almost anyone with a smartphone. So yes, I find without it, of course you engage more because rather than looking down or taking a photo to post, uh, which we all do, um, you're actually, you're looking and you're living those moments. You're, you're not, experiencing those moments to share with other people and and it's like people's whole mentality has started changing i've, I've spent some time recently I, I don't use tiktok but i i'm aware of the medium I, i'm amazed how many pre-lockdown anyway how many families i was filming with whose children were just kind of perpetually doing these little dances uh, like all day long which is you know basically engaging with TikTok. Now, I sound like a kind of an old dinosaur kind of saying, I don't know what these children are doing with these little dances. Uh, I, you know, I, I engage with social media and, uh, and, and I can see the benefits, but you have to start to question what, pe what people are using it for and how they're actually engaging. Yeah, and then that actually brings us back around to one of the first things you spoke about, which was Strava and that whole idea of, you know, are people doing stuff just so they can share their time or or or, the, or a photo now i i can definitely sort of say that i can end up doing that sometimes i know that when i go out for a dog walk and if i've forgotten my phone and i get annoyed with myself because i think oh i could have got that lovely photo of my dog or whatever but actually those memories they're, they're still valid even if i don't take a photo of them and share them and they're really special between me and my dog and it can be easy to lose sight of that um, now, I'm really interested to know, 
where do you feel most connected? Is it um, by the sea, the forest, the countryside, the mountains, um, or the jungle? It, it would be the coast, without doubt. I'm, I'm, I was born in London. I'm, my father's Canadian, so I spent lots of time uh, on, on the lakes in Canada. And water generally has always been um, my um, environment. It's where I feel most comfortable on it, next to it under it I don't really mind water for me I find incredibly therapeutic I always thought I'd live by the sea uh we're we're about as far from the ocean where we are in Oxfordshire as you can possibly get um uh but I I feel most content if uh if I'm by the ocean um having said that obviously all those other environments uh ha have their virtues except for the jungle the jungle is quite a hard one to sell really I, I, spent quite a, I spent quite a lot of time in the jungle and it's, it, I, i'm still struggling to form a, a good bond with it um but uh, oceans water i find I, I don't know i think there's a if, if you imagine you know how much water is in us I think there's got to be some connection with water. So many, you know, there's so much that comes from water therapy, cold water immersion, swimming, being near water, the noise. Um, and, and I'm certainly one of those. Yeah, I, I think the pull of the ocean is very strong for a lot of people. And that parallel you made, you know, with us being made up of so much water, I think it's between like 60 and 70 percent. There's got to be something in that. Um, OK, Ben, so I ask all my guests this question looking back at the ripples you've made in your life what are the biggest lessons you've learned to keeping your mind and body healthy i think it's about slowing down i think everything is very fast i think we live a very fast pace of life and if you if you um get caught up in the race then uh there's there's no stopping you're dragged along and uh and what happens is you start tripping up you start being dragged and eventually let go. And I think as soon as you slow down and you look at life as a, a kind of um, a yomp rather than a, a race, if you look at li life as you know a plod rather than um, uh, a sprint, you, you'll start getting a lot more out of it. And I think lockdown, the many periods of lockdown we've had have forced people to slow down. I think we've, you know, we, we've talked about slow food. We've talked about slow travel over the years. There's slow television, and the reason it appeals to so many people is because it's it's so counterintuitive to this speed. We want lots of information. We want to move fast, and and I'm culpable of getting caught up in all of that as well. But I think my, my advice to other people is just slow down. You know, r rather than you know the. the, the this whole comparison culture that we have of, of, you know, either looking at Instagram, what are they doing? What have they done? This whole grass is always greener. Well, if you actually, you know, focus on your own grass, uh, then you, you won't worry about what the grass looks like on, on the other side of the fence. Um, there's a great quote that um, comparison is the thief of progress. And I think, I think it's true because you could, you know, I know some people are motivated by, other people's success and and uh, other people's achievements and that works for some but I think if you use that as the default it can be quite a dangerous thing because it can actually you know people can feel overwhelmed by what they the, the sense of what achievement actually is so I think my, my kind of the, the ripple that that I've learned over the years has been just about slowing down slow down your expectations dream big but um you know rather than dreaming actually make a plan uh and and actually try to 
make that plan happen. Um, uh, but be realistic with your goals. The, 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 when I say being realistic, that doesn't mean you can't be ambitious. You know, we can all be as ambitious as we want. But um, I think we sometimes get lost in who our role models are and, and what we define as success. Because if you define success being a Kardashian and earning a billion pounds uh, and being on the front of every paper and then becoming president, it's not going to happen. You know, there's a few tiny examples of that. But if you bring it down to, you know, something more attainable and uh, achievable, then you're more likely to actually start having successes, which creates an enthusiasm and empowers you. And, and, and the result is that you actually succeed. Yeah, and you, and you saying that actually reminds me of something I saw online today that a friend shared. It was a pie chart um, kind of showing what society measures success on, which is two things, simply the amount of money we earn and our job title, when actually we should be measuring success on all sorts of different things from you know the time we spend outside, the amount of time we spend with our friends and our family, um, the amount of time we give to rest. Um, now, now, I know that you have used this slowdown period to write a new book. Um, could you tell us a little bit more about that? So well, I wrote I wrote um, a, a book during lockdown one, which was called Inspire, which was sort of lessons from the wilderness uh, about what we I, I was trying to almost translate some of my experiences of doing some of those big adventures into everyday life. And, and it did very well. And actually, one of the chapters was specifically on islands, which I've always been fascinated by having kind of effectively started my career on an island I've been lucky enough to visit a lot of islands over the years so this one is is about islands but it's about the the philosophy I suppose of islands what they mean to us what what how islands differ according to their geography size community and uh, and specifically focusing on islands around the UK so I've I'm actually starting a new BBC series subject to, to covid lockdown regulations but hopefully in the next couple of months I'll, I'll start visiting some of the islands around the western isles and beyond and this book though is is kind of the what i've learned over the years visiting hundreds of different islands and the communities that that live on them and it's kind of that that's kind of i suppose what gives me motivation on a day-to-day -day basis when uh when i'm not stuck at home by the way that's th this notion of being stuck at home i think you're actually safe at home aren't you you're kind of comfy at home you know all these people going oh, i don't want to be stuck at home surely a home is supposed to be a place that you feel quite safe and that you've made reasonably comfortable in, in, in with whatever you have to to, to to make it that way so while i've been kind of safe at home i've been uh i i'm busy writing at something i love i've written many books over the years and it I find it a fantastic form of escapism. Ah, oh, that's great. I, I've actually just finished your last book, Inspire. So I'll have to add that one to the list when it comes out. Um, and I know that you're going back on tour, fingers crossed. Um, you're picking up your tour again, Tales from the Wilderness. I was lucky enough to catch one of the last shows before lockdown one hit uh, in Folkestone back in, I don't know, February 2020. Seems like ages ago now. Um, but if somebody wanted to watch, come watch your show, is it all on, the, on your website? Yeah, all the details, benfogel.com. And I really hope by September, 
people will have um, uh, vaccination passports. Maybe some people will feel confident enough to go anyway. So we're really hoping the postponed um, dates, if only for the theatres, because you can imagine how this has affected theatres, everyone in production all across the country, because um, that has basically uh, been decimated for a whole year. So, you know, as well as kind of continuing the tour that, that was very popular anyway, I'm, I'm doing this to really support the theatres all across the country that need us to return to the stage. They need, they need audiences to return to the seats. Otherwise, we'll lose these beautiful little theatres. Exactly. Live theatre is such a special platform. Um, you know, you're brilliant at telling your stories via TV programmes, your books, social media, but, you know, you can't beat live theatre. And I'm so pleased that you're going to be able to continue running your shows in the near future, hopefully. Um, so, yeah, that, that brings us to the end, end of our chat. Thank you so much, Ben, for coming on the Starter Ripper podcast. It has been such a treat speaking to you today. India, thank you so much. Good luck with everything. Keep up the yoga and the paddleboarding. Uh, yes, I definitely will. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Start a Ripple podcast. If you like what you heard, then please do subscribe and write a review. It helps other like-minded souls find this podcast and means you'll never miss an episode. If you want to get in touch, then the best place to find me is via Instagram. I'm at with underscore India or you can find my well-being hub at Finn and Flow. Thanks again and speak to you soon.